The following program is an encore presentation of the Positive Mind Radio Show. Hi everybody, this is Kevin O'Donohue, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm Nasima Diane Deemer, trauma specialist and licensed massage therapist. And this is The Positive Mind. Where we bring you some ideas, concepts, and guests to help you lead a more positively minded life. And apparently asking for help is a good for your mental health. It's good for your mental health to ask for help. We got a lot of feedback on last week's show, Asking for Help, and you can find that on TFFPP.org if you missed that show. Last week, we said asking for help. Help is a four-letter word. How are you with asking for help? Can you imagine asking for help? When was the last time you asked for help? When did you decide, I will never ask for help? Have you made that vow? It was an important show, I think, Nasima. We touched a lot of nerves there and got a lot of really good feedback about it. And it's amazing how many of you really, uh, you'd rather almost die than to ask for help. It's almost like public speaking, right? The number one fear is public speaking. Well, the second is asking for help. So... It's good for your mental health. I mentioned like last week, Deepak, um, what's his name? Sanjay Gupta's new book, Keeping Sharp or Keep Sharp. And he said, one of his recommendations is ask your parents for help. Right? Do your kids ask for your help? Are they able to? And it doesn't stop, right? When do we stop asking for help from our parents as kids? 15, 16? You know, this this war starts in adolescence between the adolescent and the parent. And, there, you know, we call that differentiation. We're trying to differentiate and separate from our parents and our siblings. And that's a good thing. But with that, we also take this vow, like, I'm never going to ask for help. How about you? When did you do it? Do you know when? And... Can you challenge yourself to ask for help? Do you need help? We, 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 we said something about it last week. Can you step back from your life and think, well, does it make sense that a human being would need help at 20, at 25, at 35, 55? When do we stop needing help? And it's a, I guess it's a question of what kind of help. Also, right? So we, we, we love doing that show and we loved all your feedback. And again, um, if you, you missed it, you can go to tffpp.org, the foundation for positive psychology.org and catch it. You know, so, but Nasima, this week we want to look at this asking for help and we realize we need to even go deeper than that, right? What happens when you ask for help? What happens? We, we feel vulnerable. And that is the big challenge. That is the thing. So we're going to talk today about vulnerability. 
really for the hour. Talk about vulnerability. Yeah, well, that's kind of what I think I was feeling when I when I tapped into that phrase of just saying, you know, to someone that I knew or loved, like, can you help me with this? Is an immediate sense of vulnerability inside, like some wall drops in me. And I feel like that's an opportunity to connect. And I think in the end, you know, vulnerability in our relationship to it can be a really interesting exploration um, as to how do we sort of keep people out of our inner world and stay isolated. Well, you know, it's it's like the one thing that all couples want from the other person, right? He's never vulnerable. I don't know how he feels about things. What he's doing, he never shows himself. I don't know who he is. Same thing. She's not, you know, couples, people live together. You know, the one thing they're thirsting for, hungry for, is this vulnerability. What is vulnerability? When they say, you know, he has no feelings, he's invulnerable. What what are we looking for? Vulnerability. Vulnerability is an openness, right? There is an, an opportunity here. I'm seeing you at your core. There's no duplicity here. You are right in this moment who you are. That's what we want in a partner. That's what we want in our relationships. But it becomes so difficult to do. Right, because like this sense, this these sort of walls were built a long time ago in our childhood. It's a wound that we've had. I mean, vulnerability, that word itself, a wound, a wounding right. that is still there. That wound really becomes our Achilles heel, you know, and we can, we can, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yes. And, you know, when you, the beauty of this is when you can look at, you can see your partner's wound. I mean, anybody who's been married for a year or six months, even a year can see, oh, that I didn't see before. I didn't see that when we were dating. I didn't see that. But now I, ooh, that started when she or he was five or six. You know, so this is the beauty of living with somebody and having a partnership with somebody that you literally see beneath the surface and say, uh-huh, there is a depth in there that he can grow from or she can grow from if we can open that up. Yeah, and if you can feel safe enough to do that, if you have the, a way of dialoguing around it. But I was going to say the way that you know that wound is that it's like you push that one spot and your partner reacts over the top. Huh? What? Mm. (laughs) What just happened there? It's one of those what just happened there moments. Like, what did I do or say that made them just become nonsensical? Or not nonsensical, but just move into a different state of mind. Can you give an example? I mean, because I know what you're saying. Uh, You know, I, I would say the shortcut is to say... What is a tremendous shame to your partner? Are they ashamed of their background? Is your partner afraid or ashamed, rather, of his family of origin, his parents, their their alcoholism, their 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 poverty? You know, where they went to school. I mean, what is the shame of your partner? And there is the vulnerability. Right. So an example would be if you point out something about, you know, your mother said X, Y, and Z, and I took that personally or something like that, and your and your partner just kind of explodes 
on you about don't talk to my mother like that and don't, you know, or, um, or implodes, you know, just kind of becomes jelly-like or something, you know, how to describe it, but just kind of collapses in front of you. Like, oh yeah, my mom is so, you can really feel like they, like they kind of disappear. That's like, oh, that's his vulnerable spot. That's her vulnerable spot. Right. And do they become identified with the thing, the very thing they're, they're dying, you know, dying to hide from, like dying to hide from the shame about my mom or my dad or my upbringing or my brother or my sister or my education or my financial background, et cetera, right? They're dying to avoid being identified as that thing. I'm more than that. I'm not just that. Yeah, but you really seem to be built around that. Your whole life, your whole persona, and I'm as I'm living with you more and more, I'm seeing it. But you mentioned Achilles. Let's talk about vulnerability with this myth of Achilles before we go into different ways people can be vulnerable and how they hide from their vulnerability. Well, when you suggested this show of vulnerability as a follow up to needing help, I was I immediately thought of this myth of Achilles and Achilles' heel, and Achilles is you know a maiden character in the Iliad, in all of these stories from Greek mythology. He was an amazing warrior. His mother heard a prophecy when he was young, heard the prophecy about her son that he would die young. And she couldn't bear it. So she took him to the river Styx, which is the river that separates this world from the other world, um, from death, and dipped him in it. And as she dipped him, she was holding him by the heel. So his whole body was submerged except for his heel. Uh. So clearly he didn't know this. Dipping him in the river sticks made him invulnerable. He was immortal. He could not sustain a mortal wound. Except for that one wow, spot. Okay. There's one spot. And, and I believe that she never told him that because... If she had, he probably would have worn, like, you know, steel boots. He'd have been phobic. Yes. <laughs> he would have been life. phobic. Like, oh, I know this wound is this this one spot. This is one place where I can be wounded. Right. It's my one impervious place. And so... Um, and then he got stabbed there, didn't he? Didn't well, an arrow get an shot arrow, into his... Well, a poisoned his, arrow. A poisoned arrow into his heel. And so, and therefore, that, the prophecy still came true. Right. What's interesting about this, also, it wasn't, the Achilles tendon wasn't named until about 400 years ago. It's interesting that the anatomist decided that this is a point where in our in our body we do have some potential for weakness and well, injury. Well, you know, if anybody's but, had a wounded Achilles, they know that, you know, if you breathe on it, it can, it can jump you into the sky. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's such an amazing thing, this small little spot in the back of your foot. And if somebody, t- you know, when it's right. vulnerable, when it is vulnerable, yeah. you can fall out of bed. Right. I mean, it's literally that sensitive. Right. So, so let's use that as our metaphor today mm-hmm. for vulnerability, for our own vulnerability. And let's think that we all, we all have vulnerable spots. And what is yours? What is yours? It's. A, I think last week's show is a good way to get the conversation going, right? You know, talk to your partner, asking for, you know, what about this asking for help thing? We don't ask each other for help. What, what's your phobia about asking for help? How do you feel about asking for help? When did, when did it start for you? 
et cetera, that that could be a conversation where people can really see, you know, you're right. I grew up in a family where I decided I wasn't going to ask for help, that it looked really dangerous to ask for help. This is the way it happened. This is why. And then, then, they, then they can go into this vulnerability that we're about to talk about. Right. And you might be able to identify that vulnerability by what is the thing that is hardest for me to ask for help for, help with, you know, or, or, or what is the thing? Maybe it's even off your radar. I need help with something that I don't understand how to do. But there's maybe a construct in me that says I'm not allowed to not understand. Mm-hmm. So, right. So I don't even know how to ask for help with something I don't know, <laughs> you know, and and it's a real double bind. But it's like, oh, well, that tells me, wow, maybe there's like a little bit of that perfectionist there in me that just isn't going to ask for help on doing things because I'm supposed to be able to master it yes. myself. Yes. And and that's it becomes a really interesting inquiry, like. What is that thing is just so hard to ask for help for? Or what areas, for instance, like finances, right? If you grew up in a family where finances were important and your economic independence was important, then if you're a grown person and, you know, you're married, kids, and you need money and you need help with that, you know, how excruciating is it to ask your parents or other people for money? This is a vulnerability. This is an area. Of vulnerability or competence. Let's say, you know, what is this thing with men who can't ask for directions, right? I mean, where's the vulnerability in that? I mean, you know, why is that a vulnerable thing? I mean, this is still yeah. happening. <laughs> but right. I mean, I mean um, and thank God for GPS. Yeah. Well, yes, that takes care of that problem, but it doesn't take care of the problem of vulnerability in general. And so we're asking our audience to think, yes, this is still going on. Where are the examples of men and women, both of us, all of us in our lives, not asking for help or being ashamed to ask for help or trying desperately not to be vulnerable? Because, you know, that's what it is. A man must feel vulnerable behind the wheel asking for help. And now he's even more ashamed if he doesn't have GPS. You know, if somebody says, hey, man, you don't have GPS, you're asking me, (laughs) then there's an even bigger shame maybe (laughs) there. But the point again is, you know, they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable to asking where and when did that begin? And who said that that's a sign of being a man? Well, and I would say for women, the thing first thing comes to mind is like to go out without makeup. A lot of women won't do that. It's too vulnerable to leave the house without makeup on. I see. And I get it. There are times I've gone out without it, and, and you do feel a little more vulnerable. It's at some point I totally forget, and then I look in the mirror. I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot to put my makeup on. But but that is a, that's one of those like female vulnerabilities that I think is pretty common. I love that. Let's, t- let's talk a little bit because maybe this can be a tool as well. Couples can ask themselves, when did you stop asking for help and how do you feel and why did that happen? Maybe they can make a list of areas and t- ways that they refuse to be vulnerable. So, I, you know, would you go out without wearing makeup on and how do you feel when you go out without makeup on? Yeah, I mean, there's a feeling like you're a little bit naked, that a little more seen, and that realness is a little too much. 
on some level. And okay. and I think okay. I think you know you get so used to seeing yourself in makeup that when you see yourself out of it, you feel like, oh, I look tired. I look you know kind of plain. I okay. nothing's accentuated right. in my face because makeup is all about accentuation. Right. And here I'm just kind of you know normal. You know, maybe right. bland. You know, there's this, and and that moves on that sort of vulnerability around attraction. Okay. You know, the okay. need to be attractive to the other, and so there's, and that's a very vulnerable did, thing was, for women. I'm sorry, but I know when was the first time that you worried that you weren't attractive? Um, in my teen years, because that's when I started. Wearing it. And guess what? Okay. I was in an all-girls school and I was wearing makeup. And I've seen pictures of you and you're gorgeous as a teen. And now you're gorgeous. But, so, yeah. you know, I mean, th- then we're talking about body dysmorphia, which is another problem, right? People who are exaggerating their defects by covering it up with makeup and other things as well. But I, you know, for me, it's always around finances, right? I try to live from my interests in life and interest in things. And sometimes I neglect the financial space because I'm, I live with passion. I like to live from my curiosity, things I want to learn. I'd be much happier with a book than $100,000 in the bank. So yeah. when did your fear around finances uh, start? I, I think starting college because I had to pay that big expense to go to college. And I realized now my life was divided between work and college. It wasn't just work. You know, so now I have to balance two things and that tension just was in the back of my mind and back of my mind back of my mind until it came right up to the front of my mind you know mm-hmm. um when loan payments were required etc so so that that would be a starting point um but i'm wondering like couples can ask themselves here's what i see vulnerable inside of you what do you think? Do you do you see what I mean? For instance, let's take these nine examples we've been talking about. And, right? Some people have this vulnerability. You know, you, you catch your partner giving all the time. The partner is like, what are you doing? You, you know, I'm, sp- I'm sitting here watching TV and you want me to get up and, and iron, your, iron the shirts because you're busy doing things for the for the apartment and for the house and you're giving and you're cooking and you're this and you want me to join you 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 say why don't you start you know ironing your shirt and i'm like well no i don't want to iron my shirt i'm watching this movie right now and so you see your partner all of a sudden it dawns on you my partner's always giving my partner's always doing things that to make the apartment nice or you know, give to friends or cooking for the family, etc. And when they try and enlist me in that behavior, it dawns, and I don't want to. It dawns on me. Wait a second. That's that's her stuff. That's what she does. Why is she building her life around giving all the time? Because it's not just in the apartment at home. She's doing it everywhere. And so that's the behavior I'm witnessing. I wonder what's the vulnerability there? What is the lack? What is that? What is she telling herself that she is always giving and can't lie down like, like I am watching this movie and just not give? Well, I think it would be something like she's she's really building her worth around all the things that she can do to help others. 
and that you know being the uber helper uh she is she's gaining some pride in herself like she knows how to help people she knows how to do things or he knows how to help people and do things and this might be someone who had to do that in their family had to become like the parentified child we call that like mm. the one who had to help the parents or help the family that was the role they took on like maybe they were an oldest child who had to take care of younger ones to help mom you know that kind of thing and they just become like these uber helpers and and they're great hostesses at parties and things and in, inviting people in with their smiles and their energy and always trying to please somebody and make a nice cake for people, et cetera. So I think you're right. They become these uber helpers. And behind it maybe is this sense of not being important in myself. So let me go give as a way to get out of this sense of not being worth anything myself. So nobody will see it. Nobody will see how I don't feel worthy myself. And then uh, to live with this person, you go, ah, I see that now. I see that she's giving all the time. And I liked it when we were dating and I needed it and I loved it about her. But now it's like annoying because it tells me she doesn't really love herself or he doesn't really love himself. That he's, he's giving to other people all the time. Wait a second. They need to have a lot also. And it might be hard for them to receive your love, too. You know, your help. Like, like maybe you even offer to help ironing the shirts. And she'll be like, no, no, no. I know how to do it just right. Mm. You stay on the couch. That, too, can be a scenario. <laughs> that would probably be a likely scenario. Right. But you know, it's like you offer to help and they're like, no, 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 I got this. Okay. Like, you can't help them. Right. They won't let you. So what do we do with this person? How do you help them? How do we help the helper and make them feel worthy? Well, do you want to tap into their vulnerability and say, you know, I see that you don't really care about you. You, you know, I see your vulnerable spot is not loving yourself. Can you see that all these things you're doing is really a way to you stay hidden from this spot, your Achilles heel, which is like you tell yourself that you're not worth being given to. So let I'm the one who has to be the giver in the world. Nobody else will do it. Of course, there's a trade-off, right? I get to be proud, right? I get to do it all. And I'm proud of doing it all. Um, but that doesn't quite satisfy, does yeah. it? Yeah, and you can see it as like that that pride and that role is there to hide the one who feels completely worthless of love. And that's the greatest fear that somebody will discover that and yeah. that they will discover that. So what helps is that you like you're saying just try to recognize it. It's like we want to we want to take a look at our Achilles heel. Like and it's hard to see. The Achilles heel is like the farthest thing away from your eyes and it's on the back of your body. It's that wound that's in a hard to see. it's hard to see somehow. We've put it in a place it. where it's sort of out of our view. And so the the work is to be like where is that wound? Where do I feel that? How do I feel it? Let me get curious about it. In the second half of the show, we're going to talk to people about how 
to go into this and experience this. Because if we're saying the essence of the giving person is this sense of unworthiness, what do you do with that? We're going to talk about that in the second half of the show. But let's go to this other type of person who, like, is always busy performing. You know, he's always achieving or she is always achieving. Right there, the model for the family. There, the Look at that one. He's a success story and always out, you know, trying to climb the next mountain to look like they are the achiever. What's what's the poverty or the lack or the vulnerability in there? I mean, doesn't somebody get tired of always having to achieve? Who are you achieving for? What is your vision? Is the achievement sort of an impulse, an instinct, a reaction, a fear? What is it? Why... You know, do you know people like this? I mean, here in America, I mean, everybody's out trying to do this. Yeah, and we hold up people like Tiger Woods and Tom Brady and LeBron James and these, you know, Michael Jordan, these great achievers in sports. Yes. You have to, like, think, like, what drives someone like that? I mean, it's it's a deep, focused drive. There's no end to how far they want to go. I mean... Until until their their bodies were break they down. allowed to be vulnerable as kids, right? I mean, I, if you're growing up in a rough neighborhood, it makes sense to like I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm going to get out there on the court and or in the field and and be the best because vulnerability isn't going to make it here. So you know you could see it as sort of reaction to any feeling of vulnerability would be this drive to succeed. And all of these guys you mentioned started at a very early age, you know, so, and then there's the reinforcement. So if you're growing up in a tough neighborhood and you get, wait, I get a sense of some kind of reinforcement in this only place when I'm on the field performing, doing, I'm going to keep doing that. That's, that's my reward. A lot of kids that come from hard situations had like coaches and people who saw something in them that would be their ticket out. So it makes sense. But Underneath there is that, what is that thing that's just not being met or seen in that kid? How do you go into that? How do we help them with that? We'll talk about that in the second half. And the, then there's the Nassima, the person who's always what? They're always emphasizing what's missing in the world. Artists are like this. Sometimes they fill the world with their art because the world as it is isn't satisfying. So I'll make art. And I'll be different and I'll show, you know, um, give expression to my feelings. So this type of person is, is someone who stands out, addresses a certain way, stands out in their looks because they're, they're trying to counter this sense of the world not being enough and their feelings of always being unsatisfied. Do you know somebody like this? Maybe you have a child like this, right? In every family, is there one who's sort of, you know, the glass is always half empty, you know, or they're always sort of, they like sad music, you know, they're they're into the melancholic side of life. We're not judging it. It's just a, a something that happens. I certainly have members of my family who will like that. And they also might be the one that's saying, you know, it's not fair. I didn't get as much milk as she did. I, you know, there's something... I'm not getting everything I need somehow, and others are getting it, and I'm not. Okay. It's, a, it's a state of kind of envy. It's like I'm missing something, and I need it from the outside. 
I need to, you know, know. And what can happen is that you don't really have a capacity to hold it, even if you get it. Yes. So you're never full, never right? Full. You're you're always wake up the next morning. Okay, I got a brand new car, but the next morning, you know, well, there's another car that I wanted, and this one really isn't. And this is just, you know, not judging this. This is simply how some people have become who they are in life. And um, they're always comparing, you know, their sort of deprivation to other people's sort of abundance, let's say. Even if they are surrounded by abundance themselves, there's an inner sense of not con- not being content. And the Achilles heel, let's say what the vulnerability of this is. What's the vulnerability here? Well, just not really knowing your, like, not really knowing that I have a self. That I have a unique individual self that's in me, that is me, that isn't necessarily my outward expression, that isn't my clothes, that isn't the art, isn't the the expression, but is me inside. Yes. And it's funny because I work with a couple of artists and that is the journey. It's like how to feel a sense of center in yourself um, and to identify with that because the identification has become the art or the clothes or the expression rather than who is expressing that. And so I would say to help somebody and that we were going to talk more about this in the second half is that you would say something to yourself, like, how do I find my identity if that's what's missing? You just say, I am grounded in myself and not defined by how I feel. I'm grounded in myself and not defined by how I feel. Because they're always thinking about my feelings are going to get me there. That's going to give me a solid sense of myself. When I'm doing my art, wearing these special clothes, dressing up or trying to fill that, you know, loss that that is going to make me feel well. And that doesn't do it. I am grounded in myself and not identified or defined by my feelings. We'll do more of that in the second half of the show. We're going to take our break. You're listening to The Positive Mind. I'm Kevin O'Donoghue, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm Nasima Diane-Demer, trauma specialist and licensed massage therapist. And we'll be right back. And we are back. I'm Kevin O'Donoghue, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm Nasima Diane Deemer. And this is The Positive Mind. And we are talking about vulnerability. And how vulnerable do you let yourself be? Do you cry at movies? <laughs> is that when your tears come? There it's safe in the dark of a movie theater. Okay. How many men can identify with that? Or have you told your partner recently when you've cried? Have they told you? And by the way, I wanted to ask, linking to last week's show about asking for help, you know, you know, when was the last time your partner saw you, saw you cry or told you that they cried? This is another thing that you can put on your list of vulnerability. 
You could even ask your partner, I, I need your help crying about this. Right. You know, like, mm. can you just sit with me and give me a little support and, and listen to me and let me, you know, talk about what it is that's troubling me and maybe support me in crying. There's a lot of times people, there's such a block to the tears. It's a, there's like a physical feeling of a block. It is so terrifying yes. to and let that out. Yes. And what a wonderful thing for a wife or a partner to say to a man, because men often have a tough time getting to the tears. And the, mm-hmm. if they could say, I know I have some tears in here. I need some help. You know, could you help me with that? That would be a wonderful, wonderful vulnerability. Right? And who doesn't feel better after crying? I've yet to meet somebody who said, I cried and, I didn't, and it made me worse. No, it, it releases endorphins for, for one thing and oxytocin for another thing. And it is like a connector with the other. It's letting someone connect with you. Um, and this, you know, in the myth of Achilles, he was a, he was a, he was a jerk. He was running around killing people, falling in love with people, making all kinds of trouble. He couldn't, he couldn't be connected with in any way. Yeah. Okay, so there are syndromes to that, and we'll we'll do future shows on that invulnerability. Narcissists are like invulnerable, classic invulnerables, uh, but not for today. Nassim, we have six more to go. I don't know, you know, there's this observer type, you know, the person at the party nearest the door, right? They just can't seem to join in. They just seem to be st- one step behind in, in the back of everybody. There, There's a withdrawnness, and they're... You know, they're studying, they like their own particular brand of knowledge. So even though they're not joining in with everybody else, they're, they're, they're becoming experts at one thing, right? Like stamp collectors, you know, people who have an expertise on, you know, certain cars, right? The mechanics of cars, right? These are observers in the world. And, and what's their Achilles heel? I mean, what are they afraid of? what's what's going on behind this because obviously there's there's a sense of i don't fit in i'm i've never really been good with other people what's driving that maybe there's like a fear of not having enough that there isn't enough for me i i can't hold on to what resources I have. I have very few resources. I have this one thing, this one interest, and I'm going to hold on to that for dear life because this is the thing that I'm identifying myself with. Okay. Like, I'm the train collector, mm. yeah, and I know everything about trains, and that's my only resource. And in a way, I also see these folks as kind of like hoarders, too. Like, they have a little something, and they're just going to keep it. Yes. They're going to keep that little, that one thing because they don't believe there's going to be anything more for them. Right. Well, that's an interesting thing because there's another one that we're going to talk about, which is the person that, you know, wants to have pleasure all the time and just doesn't want to be trapped. Don't give me tedious things. I'm too flexible and talented. I want to be doing different tasks. I never finish any one thing, but I'm good at a hundred different things. So, and if there's a party over there, I'm supposed to be there too. So, I, there are these types of people who try to be in two places at one time. You know anybody like this? So, you know people that just refuse, do not want to feel pain. This is what they're avoiding. They they do not want to be trapped in a dead-end job. Like, this is like the worst thing in the world for them. So that's the exact opposite of the 
person we were talking about before, you know, the person who's focused on just one thing. Yes. As opposed to a person focused on like a hundred things. So then there's this other type of person who's like, you know, uncertain about everything, you know, and doubtful of everything. You know, they're the ones that are ready to like argue about philosophy or any particular point that somebody wants to make that they're always saying, yeah, well, you could think that, but, but, you know, do you know anybody like that? Who's like always throwing in, but they never have like a firm stand themselves. It's, it's, it's really rough being this person because, you know, it's almost like the person without the identity you were saying that they're, they're never sure about where they are or what they are or what position they take in life or what values they have. They have a lot of worries. They worry all the time and their tendency is towards anxiety. And it comes from like, like there is no home here. There's no place to land safely in this person. There's no like sense like, oh, I can, I can find safety like right here in my house. They can't. It's, there's no place, there's no place that's safe. Right. Everything has a, a potential of danger in some way. Right. And so their eyes are very alive, even when they're like not sleeping, <laughs> you know, when they're barely uh, falling asleep, their eyes are still the, the last thing to go out. These eyes are always darting around the room and always thinking about, you know, the trouble that's coming. And so their Achilles heel is, you know, when they start to feel even a sense of safety is this awareness, uh-uh. Doom is right around the corner. So even no matter how they strive to have a successful career, let's say, these are types that are often dedicated to a philosophy or a religion or or a code or an ethic, right? But once somebody comes in with, well, that's not necessarily a valid thought or a valid belief, there's the Achilles heel. Like that's something that can topple the whole system for them. So they'll cling to a system as a way to get certainty, and they'll be loyal. They're often called loyal, the loyalist personality style. But they're always afraid somebody's going to find the one argument that's going to invalidate my whole self, my whole life. That's an Achilles heel. Yeah, I'm so reliant on this one thing to define and give me guidance and I don't know how to find my own inner guidance. Like they don't have a GPS inside themselves. They don't right. know right. where they're going unless somebody tells them. You know, it occurs to me it's such an opportunity to live with a person like this and help them, right? To to recognize this vulnerability in somebody and like really help them with that, right? Well, because all thoughts are thoughts are just illusions, right? Thoughts aren't as solid as this table. Right, they're all just f- rampant and flimsy, and we make them into something that they're not. They're not, and for this type of person, that thoughts are everything. Thoughts are more real than this table. My belief system is more important than you as a human being. Uh uh-uh. uh Right. You know. So, what an opportunity to live with somebody like this and help them go into this vulnerability, and maybe help them feel some support that's consistent and safe and that maybe with support 
they would find their own inner guidance, their own inner voice yes. that will tell them yes. what's what way to go to trust themselves a little bit more. And the total opposite of this person is the one who's very sure about everything, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, this the narcissist would be someone like this, right? Um, somebody who's just doesn't doubt themselves at all. They control, they lead, you know, they challenge, they're in charge, they're the general, whatever you want to call them, but... You know, they are just full of themselves and full of life. And when they walk in a room, you know it, right? The papers fly somehow, right? This kind of person. Is there is there an Achilles heels for this person? Well, I was thinking, like, they're, they're doubting everyone else. Like, they're in constant doubt of others, you know, authority, their knowledge. So, yes, they are exactly opposite the type we were talking about before. You know, they're probably moving from a place of that I will let no one control me. Like, I am not going to get trapped. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a rolling stone. Nobody's going to hold me back. You know, I'm a, I, I'm don't don't ever try to pin me in. Don't yes. fence me in. Because if you do, I'm going to lose it. Right. But at the same time, they need people. You need people to control. You know, it's one thing to control your home and your environment, but. That doesn't satisfy for very long. But you know, so you need people to control. I want people, you know, so they put themselves in positions where they're able to control people, challenge people, push people, whatever. And just when, and they recognize, like, it's kind of lonely being this position, being the one always who's controlling things and in charge. I'd kind of like to let people into me, into my world a little bit. And that's their Achilles heel. Right, they let down. They let down this need to control and challenge and confront people. I'll let this person in, and lo and behold, I'm going to get. You know, you feel betrayed, right? Somebody, you get betrayed. We're all betraying, right? So you make it into a betrayal. Maybe the person isn't directly betrayed, but you take it as that kind of betrayal. So the need becomes: I need other people. The moment I let them in, boom. They do something to, you know, frighten me and, and throw me off balance and make me fear like I'm going to be out of control, lose control. Right, right. And, and it sounds like this is someone who, you know, it's like that loss of control, that letting down is so terrifying because they really have to trust others to be trustworthy. And it might be hard to find those kind of people. They're always on the lookout for them. They're always, and they're always disappointed. <laughs> you know, there's always some sense of, mm. I did it again. You can see these strong people in life. Even these strong people have vulnerabilities, we're saying. We all, it's vulnerable to be alive. So it's vulnerable, right? And so we have two more to go. We have this other person who's like laid back, right? There's the calm, laid back person who doesn't seem to be, you know, very energetic or very moved by anything or anybody, you know, they're just copacetic, right? Do you know anybody like this? And if anything, you know, they're always trying to muffle 
any sort of disorganized feeling. So, if, you know, if they grow up in a family with a lot of fighting, they'll always be the person in the room trying to quiet the fighting, you know. Leave me alone. I don't want to get caught up in these fights. So can we quiet it down a little bit, please? You know, there's, we call them peacemakers. They're always sort of going about making sure that nothing gets out of control. And, and that everybody's happy on some level. In a different way than the two, but like that, that they'll, they're sort of like the mufflers. They'll like muffle all the, <laughs> all the problems. Right. <laughs> they'll, they'll take the noise down. They'll, you know, do whatever it takes and forget confrontation. They're, they're not confrontational at all. Like they avoid it like the plague mm. and don't want it in their world. So that's, you know, the peacemaker. It's a great, it's a great skill and the loss in it is that you never get to feel your feelings and nobody else gets to feel their feelings around you either right little secret there right a little hypnosis that i'm always doing with people trying to like subconsciously put everybody to sleep so i am unbothered right Right. The, the the antidote get them angry right what do you hate Right? Do you hate anything? Everybody hates something. Do you hate something? Oh, they'll always, well, I don't really hate anything. You know, life is too short to hate. And so they'll rationalize, right? Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, but what's the Achilles heel here, Nasima? That, that, you know, wait a second. Nobody knows you. You're not known by anybody. You're not connected to anybody. You notice that? Right. And the fear is if I do express my emotions, that people will leave. Or that I will totally fragment myself because there's so much boxed in there and held down and muffled that if I let this out, I'll totally fragment in myself. But the biggest, I think a bigger fear is that there's a loss of connection. Like the belief is that I'm connected because everybody's happy and everything's okay. There's no fighting. There's no fighting. But, and not trusting that the fight is also a way of connecting. Right. And so the, vul- the, the vulnerability is th- th- to be made aware you're not connected at all. You are just asleep. And so this vice for this person is sloth, right? It's kind of sleepiness in life, a passivity. I like a, a desire to be unaffected by life. Yes, Interesting design. Right. <laughs> don't we all have like, that one? Don't mess Sometimes. with my chill, man. You know, <laughs> it's like don't rock my boat. That's that's called Sunday. Get off of my cloud, man. <laughs> right. And we're coming to the last, and this one is like a person who is like makes order everywhere they go. Right? They'll come in a room and they'll sort of like see the napkin off, you know, not folded properly. You know, or they'll they're they're the teacher that you know will cross your T's for you and forget to like comment on you know your run on sentence. They'll miss the big picture for the detail. They're focused on details. You know, so they're perfectionists. They're 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 busy going around, you know, finding fault in the world and sort of trying to fix minor faults wherever they go, and, and- in their environments. Yeah. And they resent that there are faults in the world. 
Like they're like, why is that napkin not right? I'm so resentful that I have to go and fix that. It should be right before I get here. Yeah. Like this is the kind of person like it should already be fixed and that it isn't fixed and I have to do it. And I'm the only one. Yeah. I'm the only one who knows or sees that. Right. So it's a thankless, thankless way of being. But what is the uh, uh, vulnerability here? Where, where is, where are they? Because there must be like a sense of inner badness in them, right? That if I straighten up the napkin or everything in the environment, at least I can put my own badness, my own disorder away for at least temporarily, right? So, you know, their Achilles heel is like, well, you're not perfect either, by the way, (laughs) you know? You were mean to that person over there. You drive angry all the time, or you, you're, you're always correcting people for the wrong things. You never, you're not generous, right? There's the Achilles heel. No matter how much they try to order, order the environment, you know, this imperfection of their own comes out. It, it's unavoidable. Nobody's perfect. Well, you'll f- they they probably feel like my whole world is orderly, but if I really feel inside, I feel lots of chaos and disorder and and really bad feelings about myself. That something's wrong. Something's never. It's never right. right. Things aren't right ever. So let's use this person as as our guide for all of these types, and there are probably more types as well, right? We we're, we're saying that we're. Everybody carries a vulnerability, one particular spot that they can be caught and that they're desperately hiding it and trying to cover it over. And so let's take this person who feels like the world is unsafe and unorganized and people just don't care and I'm the one who cares and I'm going to organize and fix my environment and not be aware that, you know, there's too much to try and fix in the first place. It's not doable. You can't perfect it all. And B, that, you know, I'm not perfect either. Why am I busy sort of folding napkins? So we'll use this one, Nasima, to walk through this process I'm about to talk about. But let's review all of these. So there's the person that's always giving, helping, and their Achilles heel is that they don't feel a worthiness in themselves. Or the person always achieving and getting accolades and and they don't feel valued. Their Achilles heel is somewhere they don't feel valued. Maybe they felt that when they were young. Or there's the people that, you know, always find something's missing. It's never enough. Something is missing and I can't put my finger on it. And the, they'll fill themselves with art and like music and nice things and try and stand out in some way. But there's a sense of I don't have a full self. There's an Achilles heel. Or the person who's withdrawn, you know, at the edge of the party, you know, and they're become they become these experts in one thing. At least that'll get me my safety, you know. Um, and their Achilles heel is that they feel like something's wrong. I'm just not competent. I have to perfect and master something. I have to get specialized in one thing. Or this person who's doubting and saying, but all the time, but, but, you know, and afraid, you know, they'll buy a, a system of thoughts and beliefs. And yet they're always worried somebody's going to find that one thing 
that can disprove everything. Or the person who's always afraid they're missing out. I need to have more fun and I need to be at two parties at the same time. And I have three jobs and I never finish anything. But I'm talented, so I keep doing all these stuff. stuff. And they don't want to get trapped in any kind of confinement. That's their Achilles heel. Or the person controlling you know, who finds that controlling my environment is not enough. I need to control people. I need to be in charge and challenge people. And then lo and behold, I let one person in and I feel let down. They betray me. Or the not, or the person who's like muffling everybody's feelings in life. You know, don't get out of control. I can't handle it. I want everybody to be at peace. You know, and their Achilles heel is like, wait a second. I'm not, nobody knows me. I don't know anybody. And then this last person that we'll talk about who's always fixing things and order, ordering the world because they have a sense of their own inner badness. It was wrong. Somewhere along the line, I really got scarred by something, and I have to repair that. And as you run through all of these, I'm thinking there's this core thing where, and we've said it many times, this child that wasn't seen, that wasn't heard, that wasn't mirrored, that that didn't get felt in a way, and wasn't allowed to be themselves on some level. And that that's like the core injury. Who would they have been if they didn't have that injury? Right? It's almost like to tie into last week's show, this damage happened, right? This event happened. We don't know. It could have been something as innocuous as a passing comment in the car when you were a child. It can really be as simple as that, that you suddenly caught in your ear, it stayed in there, and you took it inside and you said, okay, that's it. I'm never asking for help. I'm never going to need anything. I'm never going to show anybody who I am. And I'll get through. I'll get through. Right. So asking for help is this chance. We're asking people to stop and say, it's natural to need help in this life. Right. And why is it impossible to ask for it? And when did it begin that you decided you wouldn't? And so this week we're talking about vulnerability and that it's beautiful like partners are looking for this in, in in each other right and your 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 purity your goodness everything can come out by being in this space it's just you don't know how to get there so let's take this last person who you know thinks that life is disorganized and disordered and help them what do you say you say first see it right see what am i doing what seems to be the driving force in all of my doing? You know, I do seem to need a neat bathroom and neat kitchen and a neat house. And I do seem to, people tell me, find fault with everybody. And I'm looking for their contradictions and hypocrisy and trying to root out all hypocrisy on my own. What What would it feel like if somebody caught me with you know, my black scar, that I'm not perfect, you know, that I'm not so sure about things. And I'm not using my life as a way to preach certainty about everything. What's this feel? Notice what I'm doing. What are you doing all of the time? We're suggesting that all of us fit within one of these nine 
and to go into it, to, to, to maybe lie down in a dark room and see, yeah, this is, this is what I do. What is underneath that? What, when did that start? Let me think. And, you know, it didn't start in high school. It started before then. When did that start? When could it have started? And what does it feel like if I let this go? What does it feel like if I really feel what I do, what I'm doing, and if I let it go? If I don't have to do it, can will I survive? Is there a person behind this? Am I only this? This is the person that you're living with is trying to get to. This is the one that they want to see. They want to celebrate imperfection with you. They want to have time to be in the imperfect with you. And you might also recognize as you're laying there and going through this um, exploration to also see that you're an adult now. Because very often these are child young remembrances, parts that are kind of running that part of the show. Like, like they're scared, they feel young, they feel very vulnerable. And to just recognize that you're an adult. That's beautiful. I wanted to say, what are the phrases that are there when you really go back into this? This is really important. I think we're just scratching the surface, but that's all the time we have for today. I am Kevin O'Donohue, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm Nasima Diane Deemer, licensed massage therapist and trauma specialist. And you've been listening to The Positive Mind. And we would like to thank our affiliates who've been airing us, uh, WBDY, WKPEJ, WRWK, KAOS, KXCR, KYGT, and others. Thank you for your continued support. Also, our producer, Connie Shannon, our chief engineer, Jeff Brady. You can contact us at tffpp.org with questions, comments, or suggestions for the show. You can also find our podcast on most podcast platforms, The Positive Mind. See you next week, folks. Bye-bye.